This podcast contains explicit language, really explicit language. Listeners of this show should be advised that we will deal with a cult that has certain ideas that are... Um, they're fucked, Paulina. Yeah, they're really fucked. We'll be dealing with all the ist, oughts, and ites. Racists, bigots, anti-Semites, misogyny, certainly. And ooh, eugenics. Kicking it old school with eugenics. Certainly a very old way to be racist. But you've got to remember, MGTOW and everything we're talking about is a cult. Uh, no matter what they say, nothing they say is real. And we love you. We absolutely love you. Thank you for coming along on the ride, and we're sorry already. (laughs) What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a hashtag cult? Hashtag cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. And who the hell am I? I'm Mike Powell. Uh, welcome to Hashtag Cult Podcast. You've heard what a hashtag cult is. Hopefully you've been listening in order. Uh, this podcast is about examining hashtag cults, and specifically we're doing a documentary about MGTOW. Um, and what we do in the show is we examine lots of different elements, and we show you all the different directions that we go in a documentary in order to research every single avenue. And that's what today's episode will be about mud fossils. Where is Paulina? This documentary and podcast is very taxing. Occasionally, you will have just me as a host. We might have some guest hostesses. Um, Paulina will be here occasionally, but you'll have to excuse today. It's just going to be me. And one of the reasons it's just me today is because this interview was just me. This was a side thing I researched. So let's get to it. What we'll be doing today is talking to London Wambi. I'll get to who he is in a second, and I'll get to what Mud Fossil University is in a second and how it relates to our investigation. But I wanted to frame why we're talking to London through some quotes, some comments from the internet. We appeared on Dr. Drew's podcast, Paulina's dad, obviously, on his live stream. There were several loud voices saying they were against censorship because one of our thrusts is that MGTOW operates in the comments and when we talk to people about comment section they're usually like the comment section is only full of nonsense and we don't really need it so when we said that on the Dr. Drew show there were a lot of loud voices against what we said there were a lot of loud voices in general and that was on the live stream that we saw while we were recording now I went to Dr. Drew's uh, YouTube page after the fact and there were a lot of comments you know some negative about us we can ignore those But the main thrust of the censoring the comments stuff came down to two arguments. One was, well, this is just the internet. If you don't like it, go ahead and ignore it. And the other one was, how can commenting cause this? But here are some quotes that I found in the comment section. One Don Juan says, how is MGTOW a coercive group? demanding unbridled control. Lol, it's an internet movement, which some men who support it, if they want to. I don't understand those people. End quote. Quote number two is a a two-part quote here because there's some response. Someone named Rolo Tomasi says, quote, Drew, I'm Rolo Tomasi, author of The Rational Male. I'd be glad to come on any time and help you untangle the misperception of red pill MGTOW and the current state of intersexual dynamics. That has 17, end quote, that has 17 thumbs up, at which 
point, Terminator, Terminator Waifu News says, they delete my comments. They can only censor, never defeat. Terminator Waifu News also says, they are trying to deprogram MGTOW men from knowing the objective financial risks of marriage and relationships with women that have real evidence based on stories and legal histories. They think they can erase the reality you know and get you back into fantasy. Smiley face that's like crying. Uh, end quote. That got two upvotes. And that's right there in the comments section on Dr. Drew's YouTube page. After we've heard all these live stream things about how what we're saying doesn't exist. But, but that's what it is like investigating a cult as a journalist. There it is. Evidence right in front of you, right in the comments section. But still somehow me, Michael and Paulina being on the show is suggesting something so absurd. And when anyone exposes a cult in any way, you will hit tons of resistance by both the public and the members of the group. That's something that's been told to us by every cult expert. You're just going to get resistance. Now, the group being coerced, they have their, their reason for wanting to stay in it, of course. That's, that's obvious. They're going to resist. But the public is a different story, isn't it? Why that resistance there? There's a lot of people better qualified, more intelligent, that have spent their lives researching how to distribute information about health to the public. I'd group mental health and cults with those things. But as a journalist, I can tell you that the history of cult awareness and media and on a grand scale, the idea of understanding cults as a public is a relatively new idea. And each cult on top of that is a new cult. It's not the same cult. Each cult is slightly different. It has a new way of manipulating people, a new way of getting in. So nowadays, despite the research, despite all the other people that have done this before, everyone who wants to talk about a cult travels the path of huge resistance. But you, you know about a cult, don't you? You know about cults because of the exposure to the public. You may even have a few of them on the tip of your tongue. Ask yourself why. It's because we as a public choose to hear it. We take it into our lexicon and we don't deny the pain of its victims or play down the power of its members to groom and hurt each other. So whatever, right? That's the attitude that I should have. If every cult expert is saying, you know, it's difficult to convince people of a cult, it's the part of it, just dismiss it. You know, you have to be patient. You be the herald of a hashtag cult or this new cult, and you'll be crazy until people start to get it. Totally wrong. That's why we're going to talk about London Wombeam. Because just as the internet is a tool to connect MGTOWs and other coercive groups, it's also a tool for the people investigating it to find each other. I cannot tell you how happy I am to find another person investigating a hashtag cult. I present to you London Wampy. He's a communications graduate student, and he clued me into Roger Spur and this group Mud Fossil. He even has a documentary podcast, a, a series called What Comet Kahootek Left Behind. I asked him to say that and his name like 20 times. He interviewed members of the Source family and then some other groups to give context to understand this era of cult stuff. He's in his 20s, like me. He has an interest in the internet and radio. So it was relieving to learn. He viewed certain, not all, but certain groups as a problem. But first, I guess I'm burying the lead here. What is Mud Fossil University, you ask? It is a theory, yes. Kinda. It's, it's pseudoscience in terms of theory. It's a thing. Yeah, it's sort of a thing. But it's mostly one man's YouTube and Facebook page. It consists solely of this. Picking up rocks and claiming that they are soft tissue remains that would be brains, liver, penis, I guess, etc. of humans. Without any evidence that they are those fossils. In fact, evidence against that, that those are those fossils. Because, you know, largely some of those types of fossils are, are not exactly possible um, in all instances. Um, so they would find soft tissue fossils of humans. Just simply from looking at them 
and saying, oh, that kind of looks like this body part. Sorry, humans and dragons. Sorry, humans, dragons, and giants, and lots of other creatures described in the Bible. And oh, cyborgs. Really. There are thousands of members. And the be-all and end-all of this whole group is Roger Spur. Creator, uh, you might say, um, dictator, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, leader, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Dictator might be a bit strong, but he he's a very much the guy, um, which is really unique as far as these types of um, online communities go. Um, usually these days they're more dispersed, um, so that's why I find it really fascinating. So I found out about London through Reddit wanting guests saw this and said you're, you're on to the same thing i am but how did london find out about mud fossil university i think i saw people making fun of it in another facebook group somehow i i, I just got clued into it through facebook um because that's, that's where it exists that's 100 percent it and also just i i think i have a drive to to understand why people believe this stuff and why these groups are able to um, sort of succeed seemingly against all odds um, even you know considering that how much information is out there that easily debunks this stuff um, how factionalized everything is how difficult it is to organize anyone around a, a single idea online which is so immediately before we even started recording I needed to know if his experience in dealing with these groups is similar because there's this Wikipedia knowledge, right? Where we think we get these groups, but for someone like me in London who have had, sat down and had conversations with people in a hashtag cult, which by the way, London will later in the interview agrees with the usage of the word. I needed to relate to somebody. I have nobody to relate to in terms of these investigations. So I want to know what was it like setting up the interview? I mentioned some of the anonymous guests on here. What was it like planning this with a person like this? Did they get it? Um, he actually kind of came at it from the opposite perspective, which was like, I'll do this, but I want everyone to know about it. I want to, I want to publish it on my end too. I want control over it. I want the, I want the word out there. Um, but when I first tried to explain to him what I was doing, um, it was really difficult to explain that I was not coming at it, um, from the as a biologist or as a uh, scientific or sorry, like, uh, you know, hard science researcher that I was looking at this from a communication standpoint. Um, and I, I kind of had to explain to him that, you know, I wasn't trying to disprove any of his theories. But what surprised me was that he really he thought that I, I was coming into it to try to, um, you know, study his sort of scientist scientific pseudoscientific conspiracy theories um so that took a bit of convincing to explain to him that you know your name will still be out there if we talk about this um you know maybe not in exactly the way that he uh hoped but it's he still seems to come at it from a sort of uh, any publicity is good publicity kind of standpoint almost and you know being entrenched in this has definitely had an effect on me and on the team paulina reens it's all had an effect on us. For me, especially, I really wanted to relate to, to London in this way. And we spoke a while about our different struggles and things like that. And I said, you know, what is it about cult leaders? What is it about members of these cults that they, they really think you're there to teach them? There is this thing when you interview them where you think they really believe, well, the reason this person wants to talk with me, like, like London described, is, is to teach them. And I sort of started to talk about whether it was narcissism or the being in the cult and... I do feel as though London gave a good injection of perspective on all people that shows just how easy it is to slip into cultic relationships. You know, people want to um, talk about themselves. I mean, you know, even me coming on here, you know, my instinct is to immediately start talking about my podcast um, or whatever. I mean, it's why we start every you know, every good interview starts with an introduction. Um, partially, it's informational, but partially it's to warm up the interview, right? Um, and I think that 
when you talk to people and you they rather talk about their ideas than um, the sort of events that surround them um, because that's, uh, you know, it's kind of depersonalizing to talk about the community you're in or I, I mean, just another example, another interview I've done that was not totally related to this and was more on the sort of occult side of things. Um, someone I interviewed wanted to talk a lot more about um, his sort of theories of reality more than um, the sort of the things that happened in the 1970s that he was involved with. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's, it, it definitely is true that, that when I interviewed Roger, his immediate it, um, assumption was I can convince this guy that I'm right. Um, and so it was really hard to keep him on track and not constantly get derailed by, well, let me tell you about why, uh, you know, there, this rock in Sri Lanka is a cyborg. Uh, actually the, yeah, a cyborg that, that lived thousands of years ago. And, and that that's why we all need to take probiotics or whatever. Right. Like, it, it, you know, and I'm like, I don't care. Like I don't, I can read this on the Facebook page. What I'm looking for is information about how he manages this community. Um, you know, what his, beliefs are um, what other you know these sort of things that he didn't understand why they were relevant now, i think an important thing to remember here about our theory in making this podcast and making this documentary is for me to say look i think this is a cult let's learn about cults let's learn about this group let's investigate this group and let's get it definitive is this a cult or is it not a cult and i will take the position on the team of saying all the time here's why i think it is a cult so in that same way I really wanted to relate to London. Not necessarily that he had to say the exact same things here, but I wanted to know what his experience was, especially what we talked about at the beginning, this idea of having to herald a cult so that people will believe you on the really innocent auspice of being like, maybe you should watch out for this. So I wanted to know, what was it like telling people you were going to do this? What is it like deciding to do a project like this? Was it like my experience at all? And it should be made clear that London was writing a paper. He was making his way to writing a thesis, and he was writing a paper. He didn't get funding for this study. So I wanted to know, did you run this by professors? Did you run this by anyone? How did they react? Um, I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase that. I mean, I think it was just one of those things that when you explain something like this to people, they just kind of like stare at you blankly and are like, well, people believe this? What are you talking about? Is this like a significant thing that's worth studying? It's like, yeah, there's thousands of people on Facebook that believe this very wholeheartedly. Uh, well, this is just this internet thing. It's like, I just told you thousands of people believe this and get sent emails and engage. I've also been there in this frustration that it's like, like, this is a huge, even if it's seven people that are all listening to this guy about mud fossils, that would be a significant cult to you. And yet, yeah, it's not. Well, and, and I mean, and I think that this is one of those cases where the internet has foundationally changed how things work. And I mean, we haven't seen the same kind of um, cults pop up, um, you know, as you did in the 80s. And people kind of think it's it's over, that that's like, a, you know, a thing of the past. Um, but it really has just changed its platform. Um, you know, her response was, I would look at... Um, uh, research into cults. Um, and I think, you know, I think you're totally right there that this is almost a new phenomenon that neither conspiracy theory nor cult addresses, specifically in the structure of these two. Um, and I, I don't know much about MGTOW, but I'm sure that there's others, um, you know, that, that this is much different than like 9-11 truthers or any of these other, other types of things. When we use the word hashtag cult, which is a word that we invented and is relatively new, and I'm sure it will evolve over time, there's two parts to it. Hashtag refers to the ability to find this content, which on the internet can be devious and strange and can allow for self-grooming. You can be in a bad place and easily find it. But remember, at the core of it is cult, and the similarities between cults and control of information is right on display is that they uh, Roger keeps a really tight lock on on it and so you can't um, 
post in it, you can only comment on his posts. Um, so that especially is much, much different than um, even QAnon, I think, in how um, that infrastructure works. It's not, it's very unique. Um, so as part of this research, I, I did end up interviewing um, one of the members as well and i don't know how good of a case study he is because he was willing to reach out to me and that's always a limitation of this type of research is that you're not you know the people who aren't willing to talk to you may have a completely different perspective um so he had a really interesting view on it because while he was a wholehearted believer he also seemed to he he's I, I think the quote that i have in my research is trust is a big issue with roger um and you know i think that um it a lot of his followers see him as this kind of and you know i'm very much generalizing here but i think they see him as this kind of um you know brilliant founder of this idea um, but that he isn't necessarily all knowing. But then you also see other comments that are just um, sort of uh, in, in awe of his sort of scientific prowess as they see it, right? Um, and so this guy in particular was a British guy, um, fairly kind of um, normal person. Um, and that was the thing that I think really surprised me is that he wasn't, he wasn't that weird, you know, and I, and I think a lot of these people tend to be somewhat uneducated. Um, at least they haven't gone through college and, um, they, his position was, you know, I, I don't, my brother is in on it or something as well, but that, uh, you know, his wife doesn't like this thing or that he has some relatives that haven't really un don't understand it. So he just doesn't talk to them about it. So he addresses it almost as if it's politics. Like he thinks that, well, this is just a worldview as if I was a specific, you know, Christian denomination that my family members don't agree with. And so I just don't talk to them about it. But the thing that, that, that I think a lot of his researchers or sorry, <laughs> his followers, I should say, like is that um, they can do their own research and they see themselves as researchers. So, um, you know, this guy described a lot of going into the his garden and like digging up rocks and figuring out what they were. And I think that it just taps into something very, um, uh, you know, the sort of like scientific curiosity that we as uh, adults who aren't in the scientific community don't get to experience as much anymore that, you know, when you're a kid, you can go dig up rocks and, and compare them to pictures and, and, you know, it doesn't have to be correct for you to have a sort of, uh, you know, scientific curiosity. So I had some natural questions coming from hashtag cult and MGTOW. I had done a little bit of investigation into the comments section on Mud Fossil before I talked to London, but I wanted to know, what did he think of the comments section? And I also want to point out something here before this next clip, which is, we often talk about red flags, but there was a word invented by Carrie Poppy of Ono, Ross & Carrie called pink flags. And I use it quite a bit. And in hashtag cults, one pink flag that you can kind of see total coercive control or love bombing or sort of abusing people to kind of get them low and doubt themselves is interviews featuring the word destroy. Now there's tons of things where someone says, oh, so-and-so destroys whatever, and it's not part of a hashtag cult. It's not part of a cult at all. But this desire that every interview is somehow some bout to prove you're smarter is really a harmful thing. And on good days, it's funny and we can enjoy roast culture, but on bad days, it turns into hashtag cults. Yeah, and you know, um, some, <laughs> there was one recently that was asking specifically for my name that made me a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I mean, for the most part, it's kind of like, a lot of stuff about like, wow, Roger, you really showed him or uh, that kind of thing, which I think is hilarious because in a certain way, they're right. Like Roger just 
uh, completely will kind of steamroll you when you're trying to talk to him. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, I mean, that was what I wanted. Like I was looking for, I, I you know, I, I wanted him to talk to me for an hour. Um, but you, you didn't know, ask I, I, any questions that would prove you right or wrong. That's no, that's the thing that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but there is just this innate distrust of the scientific establishment. Um, even though I'm not trying to disprove him, it just comes with this baggage that they assume that that's my, my goal. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, in, it is interesting for, you know, a community that, that really claims to be all about sort of science. There is such a level of ignorance with how, scientific methodology works um and you know the acceptance that you can study something without proving it right or wrong um you know these are people that deal purely in sort of um i i guess you call it maybe materialism but at the same time uh, you know there's such a um mix of different uh, ideologies that are going on. Um. Roger was quite able in this interview to bounce off of one question in particular that you asked. You did do a good job to ask, how does religion factor into your thing here? <laughs> and I, yeah. I listened to this clip, I'd say about 10 times, because you ask, hey, how does religion get into it? And he answers in about four minutes. And I'm like, dude just said nothing. He just yeah. said nothing. I can't remember if that was the question. There were a few questions that I asked him over and over and over again, and he would just continuously pivot to basically his theories. Um, and it, which is weird because, yeah, I mean, religion is that should factor into it. That is part of his theories, um, you know. And so I, I'm asking him to talk about his theories, but he would just want to divert back to this um other whatever he wanted to talk about yeah and it it it, it was interesting to me to shine a light especially on mud fossil because it's like I, I know all these rigorous standards i don't know exactly them but i know all the rigorous standards academia has to go through and it's like no even just interviewing someone like that's not just what scientists do it's not we you know they're not just talking to someone everything has a process and a review and a and a way you're supposed to do it in order to yield the best results and it was a great contrast to these people that were like i can just see a rock and make the same <laughs> expectations that someone does somewhere else it was like even on an educational level not to make fun of them it was like that's not really what they're doing like kind of but like that's not really it and it was it was a, a good addition into the paper yeah and i mean i mean even just going back to the, you know that comment on the youtube video asking for my like name and address or whatever it's really interesting because it is like well if roger was a real academic scientist uh, you know, of course, my real name would would be on the video and I wouldn't have a problem with that. So it's kind of a weird irony um, that, the, you know, contextually uh, that suddenly becomes very inappropriate, um, even though uh, conversely, uh, you know, I, I am kind of um, expected to use uh, real names in my on my end of things of course although you know i mean I, I also offered roger anonymity within the paper as well and he explicitly said no i want my name in it i mentioned before i have a special interest in the comments section because when it comes to mud fossil they also only operate in the comments section so i looked into it and me and london talked and i said one of the things i'm doing is seeing if i can find my hashtag cult in other places the spread of ideas on the internet is surely if you use scapegoating like MGTOWs use in order to get out your emotions, you need to feed this anger. So you're going to be attracted to other things. Maybe, maybe, maybe one thing loses flavor and you move to another. That's something that I'm thinking might happen. So I look at this hashtag cult and I go, well, let's see if I can find anyone in this group that is this way. And it's interesting. I for sure found MGTOWs in Mud Fossil. I guarantee if there was some anti-MGTOW strain going out through Mud Fossil, it wouldn't turn out too well. There would be a lot of pushback on it. I actually traced it even further. I found someone trying to push these ideas on Roger, and Roger, to his credit, it wasn't his thing, and he resisted. And I managed to find MGTOWs, and I managed to find that 
some of these people were connected to other internet cults. There was, in fact, pretty well evidence that the top commenters in a certain era of Roger's timeline were defending a Christian cult, a ministry that operates on the internet that's already attracted a lot of attention. So now I hear you scream. Now, wait a minute, Mike. Mike and Paulina and Reens, team hashtag cult. Don't just skip past the good. Did you just say that this guy was presented with red pill stuff and he resisted? Yes, he did. And that's one of the biggest dangers of hashtag cults that we don't know how to explain to people. This coercion, this, this leaking of the idea to the internet covertly is happening all the time. You may have actively resisted this in the past. Someone may have tried to red pill you. So, yeah, Roger isn't on board with that stuff. But he's certainly not kicking it out. So I thought, a lot of people don't know about hashtag cults. A lot of people don't investigate who their followers are. I had a pretty logical question because I seem to be the only one wanting to investigate who is commenting? Who are the type of people commenting? Why is someone on a forum all the time? And I asked London about it. Do you think it occurs to him that maybe he doesn't see who he's attracting? Um, okay, so this is a really fascinating question. Um, do you mind if I get into QAnon a little bit? with? Absolute, absolutely. Okay, so um, Roger Spur is a really interesting character in this world, um, specifically because he does not overlap in this way that you're talking about. Um, so we'll, we'll start with that. Um, well, you know, I asked him about religion and what really surprised me is, is that at the, at the base of it, I think he was not religious before he started this, um, is what he kind of implied. Um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but you know, I, I found that fascinating because I just assumed that he would be coming at this from a young earth creationist standpoint. He is basically just a guy who went into his backyard, saw a rock that looked like a spinal column or, or whatever, and decided that there were once giants that had all been fossilized like trees, right? So it, I, it's created a lot of like personal stress for him. Um, as I've been following this, I, about a month ago, he declared he was going to sort of permanently log off and stop producing this kind of stuff because basically implying that it's really destroyed his relationships, which was another topic he would not really talk about in the interview. Um, although he kind of alluded to some some issues. Um, he said something but, that know, was incredibly this... like our MGTOWs, which is, I have no career. I don't want to do anything except produce these videos and talk. I talk to no one was another thing he sort of said. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I mean, he said he's, ba yeah, I just stay inside and make these videos. Um, the other thing that's really fascinating about, about Roger is, is that he actually, you know, if we're taking his word for it, at least had a, a pretty successful career. You know, again, he's not super educated, but he, he's older um, and is basically just a retiree. There's no reason that he has to be doing this. Um but he does. Um, and I, I think a big part of it is the sort of payoff of having a com big community that loves you. Um, and, you know, and that, that sort of having people believe in what, what you're saying uh, adds so much credibility to yourself and to your ego that it, you start to believe it yourself, I think. Um, I, not that he ever didn't believe it, but I, I don't think he would have kept on this if he <laughs> didn't have all these adoring fans. Um, and so that's, that's the first part of it. Um, the second part of it is that Roger absolutely hates flat earthers. <laughs> um, I, and it, it's arguably one of the kind of, kind of most, oh shoot, sorry. There goes my Roomba. Hold on. <laughs> oh no, a robot! Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time, a robot has attacked podcasting it's all over this is the end they knew it we were using their digital format and it's finally happened it's arguably one of the more comedic things that happens in this group is that it attracts a lot of flat earthers because it's in line with a lot of their beliefs and he absolutely 
will just ban them and delete them and get rid of them because he's basically tired of them trying to retcon his group or you know undermine his project by promoting their own theories um and he thinks it's he thinks it's ridiculous um to hear him talk about it is um probably the only time in the interview that i almost started laughing just because I, it, like how do you i mean the cognitive dissonance is incredible um, it was but, one know, of the I mean, most important moments of your interview for me because it what yeah. a lot of people will say when we tell them about this group is they'll dismiss everything they believe entirely and for me that moment was no, this shows exactly why this is a cult. He only has a specific set of beliefs. It, it, it happens to align that some of these people have a totally different view than the rational scientific community or that of journalists, but they do have lines. I had a similar moment yeah. in MGTOW where I said, I think that they're promoting all of the incest cam stuff, that they are buying those incest cam things, only to find out that they don't masturbate. They are against porn. And so I made this assumption, oh, they must be doing this thing and that thing. And it's like, no, we don't masturbate. It's like, well, that explains something. It's very specific. And I, it was a really important moment for me, that that moment where he's like, you know, oh, these idiots, these flat earthers, oh, I, I, they're all over me. They, they, they just, they, they're commenting all the time. It was like, see, it's not just someone who's so gullible. It's someone who's self- uh, self-indoctrinated right um yeah so i mean I, I have a couple caveats to that i guess i i i will say so roger has bought into a lot of the young earth creationism ideas which i find really interesting that he his followers kind of managed to convince him of that and i think i think that it's because it supports his claims whereas flat earth does not necessarily uh, it doesn't do anything it's compatible but it doesn't it doesn't help his claims um whereas if you you can look in the bible and say look there's giants and and x y and z now another distinction before we go on is that these members are not anonymous we've made some mention of it before they are themselves which is different from hashtag cults but the cult element is definitely still there you know, we've talked about on the show using social justice warriors as boogeymen, feminists as boogeymen, and whatever those words may mean to people in MGTOW, they are people who would dox you, who would shame you, who would ruin your life and steal your money should you reveal your philosophy. And the same thing is going on in Mud Fossil. And the similarities between those tactics and Roger Spur and Mud Fossil University kind of led into the discussion as to why it's so difficult to explain what's going on in a hashtag cult unless you really go and get your hands dirty and see the content. Roger uses the denial of flat earth as a way to um, reify and, and, you know, kind of add evidence to his own skepticism. So when he, when he talks about uh, how f dumb flat earth is, it at lends him credibility because he's saying, well, look, I'm skeptical of this other thing. I'm, you know, I uh, refine my own beliefs. I don't just accept everything that anyone throws at me. And so I think that that for their community is part of what, what kind of reifies it and, and keeps it cohesive. Um, that said, there's a lot of people in his group that clearly believe in flat earth and will comment things like, I wish you'd reconsider flat earth theory or whatever. Um, you know, why are you denying this? Um, you know, and so they'll, they'll go back and forth like that. And like you said, I think, yeah, on an individual level, these people overlap with a lot of things that, that the core of, of Roger's beliefs don't necessarily. When he said the things about his career, I didn't believe any of that. Um, it sounded quite similar to me to cult leaders we've been involved with and cult members we've been involved with and, and hearing the history of cults. He said something very specific that rang true with a lot of cult leaders was, I did XYZ before XYZ age, and that's impressive. <laughs> and that's something that I've yeah. heard from every cult leader that I've encountered myself or that, what you know, whatever. Somehow his ability to 
do something before his time, be much smarter than you think he is. That to me stings of narcissism. So in terms of like conspiracy theories, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, just to, just to add to that, that list, you know, their um, father Yod of the source family also claimed that he had been uh, won the world's strongest boy competition and it had robbed banks and, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's interesting where the, the lines start to blur because he did arguably know some famous people and, and had a very successful restaurant chain. Um, so, you know, there, there, it's always weird how it's like where, you know, how do you know exactly which parts of this is the, these these uh, stories are true? And and I'm, I'm of the opinion, take the take the side of what they say and 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 dig into that. So uh, on that on that front, you know. Try and ask this another way. Our focus has been on the followers. Our focus has been on the people. And you mentioned his followers trying to convince him of things. Did you feel as though at any moment you could convince Roger of something else? Did you feel as though his followers are... are, I mean, how much study did you actually do into the followers themselves is, I guess, the question. Because I saw a few people being like you know oh you should read this and then it bouncing off of roger and so they kind of give up you know yeah so i mean one of the the difficulties that i've had in in studying these things is that there's just no academic framework for it um and i really wanted to do, do this as a more comprehensive study but a lot of the times you know the way that that you have to do this kind of research is you have to come up with a few research questions and uh, you know when you're at a stage where you don't even have any previous literature that describes the the group or the leaders or whatever, you can't really just jump in to the deep end. Um, you know, I, I think that th- it's awesome what you're doing because within a journalism perspective, you can absolutely do that. Um, but, you know, academia works in such a incremental progress that it just... I I could only really cover him. Um, and I think the other issue with it was that um, I actually started the research hoping to study the followers and to do sort of an ethnography of the group itself. And I remember I commented uh, in the group asking if there was anyone that would be willing to talk to me, trying to be very respectful and like, I don't want to, you know, bother Roger or anything, but if there's any of you. And I immediately got a a message directly from Roger saying, I want to talk. And so that kind of threw me for a loop and it totally changed the direction of my project, which in retrospect, you know, maybe, you know, you could argue that he kind of controlled the narrative um but you know i mean i just had to kind of change the this the perspective on the study and certainly i wasn't going to turn down an opportunity to talk specifically to him um in this sort of qualitative setting i think that another you know my my backup approach was just going to be to study the posts themselves and the comments um and i think that that is definitely um yeah what you're doing is really great in that front you know i think that there is a problem with studying this stuff in that especially at least coming from a communication field which i think that it largely falls into maybe sociology but there are frameworks for looking at internet groups and there are frameworks for looking at the ways that people communicate what what is missing is that there is very little descriptive information about these types of groups which makes it very difficult to study because you know it's hard to generalize you know say you you take just literature on facebook groups and then apply it to mud fossil so well, it, it doesn't operate like other Facebook groups because he's the only one that'll, that's allowed to post. We're sliding into the end of the interview here, and I start to posit just thoughts about both of our investigations. And I start to talk about MGTOW and see how a fellow investigator feels about it. And the thing that everybody I've interviewed is probably sick of hearing and the most difficult question to answer, which if anything, this is the entire question of hashtag cult as an organization, is are we treating the symptom? Are we looking at a group like Roger and saying, the problem here is that this guy doesn't know about fossils. Now that is a valid thing to talk about. A lot of people don't know about fossils. And honestly, sit a second there and think how much you really know about fossils. You didn't come up with much, did you? So part of this investigation was to check our privilege 
Are we so annoyed that there's a lack of education in the world, that this is what we go after? Are we ignoring the fact that most of these people in MGTOW, for example, are dealing with something else? That perhaps almost everyone in this is dealing with something else? How can we talk about this subject and not kind of dismiss a lot of it and say, something else is going on? And I kind of invited London to wax philosophically and add his own input into it. There is an interactive real world element that keeps people engaged. Um, and I think that that is a big engagement factor that people feel empowered to go out on their own, find a rock in the street and then say, oh, look, this looks like a hand. Oh, look, you can see veins in this. And then they'll comment it and Roger will like it or whatever. Other people will will chime in. You know, sometimes uh, Roger will like get in, into arguments with people over what things mean, um, but it still gives them the opportunity to do something rather than just like get mad online. And I, I mean, we're all, we all have some sort of, pain right i mean if, if you don't mind if i get a little little philosophical for a minute um so you know uh lacan was this theorist that talked about or he, he was a psychoanalyst who studied children a lot um and his basic conception was that at birth people are um basically uh you you're socialized um in a, such a way that, that language uh, kind of creates this structure through which you view the world. Um, and, uh, you know, you, as, you're, as you age, when you're born, you, don't, you can't separate yourself from your own mother. Um, you don't understand that you are a, a separate person when you're an infant. Um, and at some point, you enter what is called the mirror stage, where you recognize yourself in a mirror as, as your own being, right? Like, you, you basically gain awareness of yourself. Um, and then eventually you're socialized and language creates this sort of structure. And what, what he says it creates is this feeling of lack, that we have this idea that sometime in, the, in our distant history, there was a time when we were whole before we understood language. Um, you know, that, that there was this time where we uh, didn't have uh, the burden of sort of socialization. It, it's easy to kind of make the assumption that all the people in the that believe this stuff are somehow kind of fundamentally broken and that and that's i think kind of a way to distance ourselves from them um because you know you can't see yourself believing that um and i mean i think that there you know i think with when it comes to migtow i'm not as experienced with with how all that works but i definitely think that there um all of these are definitely the result of social anxieties um and um feelings of powerlessness more than anything else uh, and so you can you can psychoanalyze that to say like yeah you know if you look at their childhood they were abused and that certainly accentuates the feeling of powerlessness that people have. Um, I think in other cases though, when it comes to some of these, you can find it more in just the way that uh, you know Roger, for example, feels completely rejected by what he sees as sort of academic elites. I don't know if that is necessarily something that he felt before he created Mud Fossil University. One of the things that really struck me was that he said that when he first discovered this, he was uh, a fairly scientific-minded guy um, who didn't have any strong feelings about academia. And then when he tried to propose this to professors or whatever, they laughed in his face. And that's kind of what inspired him to start this movement. And so I think you can look at that and say like, yeah, this is a guy who lacks the sort of um, critical thinking skills, potentially, or, or just education um, to understand the scientific process. And then, but has this sort of innate scientific curiosity. And when he took this idea to the establishment, they rejected him. And so he feels profoundly alienated. Um, and, uh, you know, he feels, uh, powerless. Um, and he feels like he wants to know, he wants to do science, but we, he, it's out of his reach. Um, you know, he can't, 
become a scientist um, unless he makes up his own version of science. Mm -hmm. But I I do think that, you know, there is definitely the potential, like my research suggests this, and that's why there needs to be a baseline body of just descriptive research so that people can take this and find some more generalizations to say like, Everyone that, w- that that believes in this kind of thing, ha- uh, you know, has a uh, greater than average tendency toward uh, these types of things. So we're almost at the end of the interview, but let's circle back to those comments that we talked about in the beginning. Censorship, the evidence of this going on in the comments section, because there's an elephant in the room when it comes to Mud Fossil University. There's an elephant in the room when it comes to all of this stuff, which is the idea of publishing being not just a tool, but a viable career for people who create a hashtag cult. So I'm going to let this last part speak for itself. It's just something that I thought would be a good debate to have in the documentary. I didn't intend on it happening in the podcast, but it's so good and it speaks to the themes that I discovered while editing that I want you all to hear it. And I also want to say something about this. You know, when it comes to the comments section and when it comes to censoring stuff on the internet, I don't believe that getting rid of primary sources would fix things. We don't, and let me say that a different way, we don't have any evidence. I don't believe based on our investigation, we don't have any evidence that the initial videos, that the initial content does as much. And this is one of the reasons why we stick to the cult model as what's going on here. The thing that pulls people in, the thing that gets people into hashtag cults is the coercion, is the comment section, is the forums. So we talked about this at the end, me in London. Roger does have a, a large following as a journalist, as someone who's worked in the professional field of public radio and even doing this project or being a podcaster. How do you feel about the fact that Roger is monetized on YouTube? <laughs> I mean, I watched I, an I ad an, before I, your interview. I use an ad blocker, so I don't even um, I, I don't even I didn't even realize that. Um, I learned all about I, Noom before your interview. <laughs> Oh gosh. So I mean, God, that's a, that's a whole other topic. Um, I, I mean, I think that it's a really sticky topic because, um, I follow a lot of YouTubers that I think that if Roger is demonetized, they could arguably be demonetized too. Um, I, I think that on some level, you know, Roger is not, he's not promoting violence. He's not spreading, uh, the sort of real world impactful political conspiracy theories. And it be- quickly becomes a question of if we were to, you know, uh, convince YouTube to demonetize people like Roger, what happens to, uh, you know, Epstein conspiracy videos or, um, and I'm not even necessarily saying that that's like an important one, but there, there are other things that we should be talking about. There are, I mean, there are real world conspiracies that have happened. There's an MK ultra, there's all, all sorts of things, you know, I mean, even my video version of my podcast, you know, one of the episodes, you know, sort of delves into, um, these sort of like Aleister Crowley and these sort of psychedelic occult subjects. And I'm not necessarily arguing one way or the other for them, but it, be- it again, it quickly becomes an issue of at where, where does the line between entertainment and dangerous conspiracy really come in? I also don't think Roger is making a lot of money off of ads. Um, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I, ha- I guess I haven't checked how many views his videos have in a while, but I, I'm a much more concerned with, with things like uh, QAnon and Infowars. Um, I, I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that demonetizing Roger would stop him. Um, certainly, you know, Noom might want to know what they're advertising in front of, and that might uh, raise some concerns for them. But I also think that in the big scheme of things, I don't think Google cares. I don't think it impacts Roger's productivity very much. But certainly, 
you know, I, I would push back against one thing about that, which is Roger is not advocating violence. But if you read his comment section, he's certainly not stopping some very radical ideas. He has an unmoderated forum underneath all of his videos on all of his posts. And other than Flat Earth, the, the idea of Christian end times, the idea of anti-medicine, uh, certainly that's a yeah, violent I, I idea. That's not it's violent in the sense that people get hurt. Yeah, so one of the things that I think is really interesting about Mud Fossil University is that Roger has a really unique uh, outlook on medicine. Um, I, I, he is very pro-probiotics, um, seem to be his main thing, and very anti-vaccine, which seems to have been brought in by some of these uh, you know, groups that just tend to cross over with these things like you mentioned. Um, I, I think it's really interesting. I, 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 it's not inherent to his theory at all. He doesn't necessarily even have to comment on medicine. Um, so I, I do think that there is some danger in that. Um, you know, I, again, I think that it, if we're talking about that kind of thing, I'm more, I'm way more worried about Jim Baker. Um, and I'm not saying that Roger Spur isn't, and Mudfoss University isn't a, you know, dangerous hashtag cult. Um, but, it, you know, it is also, I think, a lot less influential than QAnon or a lot of the other, you know, I mean, as far as the types of ideas that you say are specifically dangerous, um, these kinds of, uh, you know, anti-medicine, anti um uh, you know, anti-science Christian type things. I think if he was demonetized, that should be what it's for. Um, and, and, and I am far more concerned with people like Jim Baker and other, you know, much larger anti-vaccine groups on Facebook and that kind of thing um, is what I would certainly like to see demonetized and taken down um, primarily just by their sheer size. So this would be for the doc, not for the podcast. I just want I want to I want to follow up on that, yeah. Because that's sort of language. Not to accuse you of this at all, but I'm just saying I see that same sort of language when we go to cults and we say, for example, to Mikdow, we go, "Well, you're doing all these things," and they go, "Well, Google is a problem." You know, why is Roger allowing any of these things on Mud Fossil? Why is a small problem any less important than a big one? Why is a small cult any less important than a big cult? Why is a why is one assault? Why is one encouraged a dangerous ideology why is that it seems like i don't know i guess i'm asking you so, to, to yeah okay so i the big thing for me i um i'm trying to figure out a, a good way to put this um you know in the last year we've seen a lot of things like subreddit removals hashtag bans on on twitter i mean just recently you know uh, twitter announced that they were going to take down any comment that uh, wished Donald Trump death, basically. Um, and, you know, and so this is kind of a hot button topic right now. And I, I think that a lot of it, unfortunately, as much as I'm not necessarily someone, I, you know, you could say I'm fairly utilitarian. I, I, I believe more in the outcome than the reasoning behind things. But I do think that this is a situation where the reasoning behind demonetization and, uh, you know, content moderation is really important. And I think that um, it, I'm not against demonetizing Roger in the slightest. I'm more about what the, the justification would be if it happened. Um, and if the justification is something along the lines of like, conspiracy theories i don't necessarily know if i if i agree i don't necessarily think that i i think that that has the potential to be used to censor people who are not even necessarily engaging in what we would consider conspiracy theories but maybe just are you know fringe political positions um what about his comments section yeah, I mean, I, I think that I and so as far as that goes, certainly I, I again, it just comes down to why are things being banned? I do agree. I see things on those comment sections that definitely go against terms of service. Um, I but I and, and Facebook is 
terrible about about that you know i reported a post the other day that was trying to dock someone and it and facebook said it didn't violate their terms of service um purely because they didn't actually wish the guy violence they just said let's find out who this you know antifa member is so that his friends and family know uh what's his address you know and that i mean that to me should be a a, a Con, you know, a violation of terms of service um, anytime that kind of thing happens. Um, so, it, it, again, it really comes down to like, what is the real world effect? And if, you know, when it comes to the anti science, anti sort of medicine and the health stuff, yeah, I, I, I agree that it should be um, moderated. And when it comes to the sort of, you know, violent rhetoric, um, it's a tough one, though. It's a really, you know, it's a tough one. And I, I but I'm certainly not going to advocate that. His claim should be removed from the internet purely on their factual basis, mm. if that makes sense. Oh, I agree. I agree with you, and that's that's the that's the reason I wanted to enter this conversation into the, the documentary, which is to say, I have no problem with someone trying to prove a theory. That's what I'm doing by saying this thing with hashtag cults. You know, there are cult people who would say, if, if you know, you know, four out of five cult experts so far agree with me that it is a cult. One doesn't. Does that one means my theory gets taken off the internet? That would be a bad thing. It's the way they treat each other that I think defines a cult in our definition. And it's the fact that he's not stopping any information as long as it says, Roger, you're so great. You know, he, he's, yeah. Yeah. he's this be all end all leader. <laughs> on a lighter note, you and I will never be as popular as Roger is on YouTube. I mean, no, unless it's, one it's, of us blows it's up. Yeah, it's crushing. <laughs> <laughs> if you or someone you know has experienced a hashtag cult, is trapped in a hashtag cult, or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show, go to hashtagcult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story.